The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 368 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is how family caregivers sharing their experiences helps others. Now, who are these others? Well, the others are who can be helped by a family caregiver's experience include other family caregivers with family members living with the same serious illnesses. Um, the family members of other families can be helped. And the healthcare and social services professionals providing care and support can also be helped. Now, the help for family caregivers includes supporting them in the feeling that they are not alone, providing them with information that's trustworthy, understandable, and actually useful, and collecting them with others, connecting them with others with the same serious illnesses. And that might be across a region, that might be across a state or a province, that might be across North America, or it might be in many distant places. Now, the help for healthcare and social services professionals includes drawing on the experiences of family caregivers who may be the first to notice that their family members are having problems that could be the first warning of something serious. The professionals draw on the experiences of family caregivers who often are the ones monitoring medications that their family members are receiving to ensure that these are taken as prescribed. And also, they're the ones who are ensuring that other treatments are being complied with. And healthcare social services professionals benefit from the experiences of family caregivers who because of physical and psychological and too often financial exhaustion, may themselves need professional care and support to carry on what they're doing. Now, back of all of that, there's a complexity, which is that serious illnesses vary over time and from one to another in the challenges they create for individuals living with the illnesses, for their family caregivers, and for healthcare and social professionals, providing them with treatment and support. So research, more research is required to better understand the challenges associated with specific illnesses and to better understand family caregivers' experiences of these challenges, all of which is why our topic how family caregivers sharing their experiences helps others is so important for family caregivers and their family members. Our guest is Dr. Cynthia Jacobs. 
Synthera is Regional Manager, Americas, Training and Research Consultancy with QSR International. She holds a doctorate in education and a master's degree in community social psychology. And in her role with the company QSR, she's worked with health researchers, including physicians and social scientists, and with researchers in many other fields in support of their qualitative data analysis. Her own qualitative and mixed methods research has included a study of help with writing for adolescent mothers in a public high school and the case study of a struggling school district which looked at hope among its teachers. Cynthia continues to have research interests in writing as a therapeutic tool and also in methodological challenges. Welcome to the show, Cynthia. Thank you. Now, first question for you. Um, tell us more about you, your life, your career, and any experience you personally have as family caregiver. Cynthia? Sure, thanks. My career actually has spanned, you described a little bit about research, but has kind of included research and teaching and working in nonprofit settings as well as business settings. So sometimes in community agencies, sometimes in a university setting, and for the last several years now uh, in this business setting, but even here working entirely really with researchers trying to support their work either in their own um, work as they proceed toward their own PhD or as they're working in a healthcare setting trying to do very much the kind of research that you're just describing. I never worked as a family caregiver for an extended period of time but from our first conversation some of these ideas were very familiar and of interest to me. Um, my mother-in-law lived for a very long time with Parkinson's. She had a very early onset case of Parkinson's. And one of the experiences I had with her was that um, she had been a painter earlier in her life, and I realized at some point that that was something that she probably could still do but couldn't do on her own. And so I um, found ways to kind of gather things together and take her out to find a place that she would like to sit down and paint. And she was able to very much do that and, and still enjoy it, even though she couldn't have taken herself out to do that. And so that really started making me think differently about that kind of life experience and how it looks to us from the outside as opposed from to from that person. And um, currently I have a very close friend who has both a father and a sister with Huntington's disease. And so we spend a lot of time talking about those issues as well. Right. Now, Cynthia, please tell us more about your work with your company, QSR International. What do you do, Cynthia? So I manage, as we said, the training and consultancy division for the Americas. And so most of the time I'm working with researchers, either in a classroom full of researchers who are trying to learn the use of the tool that we work with, um, which is called in vivo. It's a tool for analyzing qualitative data, and we'll, we'll talk more about that. 
um, sometimes with a team of researchers working on a particular project or sometimes working with other people who are trying to train other people who um, trying to support others in their work. So um, one of the things that I enjoy the most about my work is that I'm indirectly involved in lots and lots of very interesting research with people just really trying to do um, great work of all different kinds. Um, that's very interesting in the sense you're doing research through other people using the technologies and techniques um, of your profession, your professional work. Now, yeah. please, please tell us more about the work of your company, QSR International. What do they do, basically? So QSR really just has one product, and it's this particular tool that helps researchers work with this very messy data. And um, so it's a software tool that allows people to work with long transcripts of interviews or videos or audios or pictures that can't be analyzed in a very cut-and-dried sort of way. And this tool was actually developed by a married couple who started the company in the mid-1980s, um, one of whom was a computer scientist and the other of whom was trying to do some of this very messy research and the way people used to do this is they would spread copies and many, many copies of the transcripts all over the floor and use sticky notes and colored highlighters and colored pens to mark it up and try to conduct their analysis that way and her husband, a computer scientist, looked at what she was doing and said, you know, there there has to be a way to do this. And so together they developed this tool. Um, and at first it was really just used by a small number of people, but gradually it's become more and more accepted over the past, I would say, 10 years especially um, for researchers to to use this tool for that type of research. And, and we're no longer, we're not the only ones who make a tool like this. There are a few others. Um, but that's what we focus on is trying to improve that tool over time to keep up with the different kinds of data that people are using and the different kinds of work they're, they're trying to do. Now, from that beginning, here are two people, partners, who look at research that they're currently or that's currently being done, the methods, and the computer half of the partnership says there's got to be a better way. Now, does that all add up to, in your opinion, a change, any kind of substantial change in the way that research is being done in healthcare? Cynthia? You know, it's interesting. So I'll say in one way, no, and in one way, yes. So when we train people to use the software, we try very hard to make it clear that the software shouldn't change the way you work with the data, that you should be trying to get the software to do exactly what you would have done with your sticky notes and your papers all over the floor, and it should be just as messy a process, but a process that you can go back and, and look at more easily. So in one way, I would say no. The way I would say yes is that I think it has helped. Um, so the U.S. in particular, less so Canada, but the U.S. in particular has been very slow to accept qualitative research. And I think in some ways the availability of software to do this work more systematically or at least more transparently has helped this kind of research gain acceptance, especially in medicine. And so medical journals in the last five or ten years have really started to accept this, and government agencies giving out research grants have started to accept it. And so I think in that way, software really has changed it a little bit. 
I'm going, just going to ask you a very quick question. I said that I think that this research is going to help people I'll call clinicians and social scientists in understanding the experience of the people they're caring for in a way that enables to trans, translate that experience into the knowledge that they use when they're providing clinical care, providing social services, and things like that. Am I right when I say that, do you think? I think absolutely so. Um, and I think what's so important about it, and, and maybe we can talk more about this later on, is that um, without this kind of research, we kind of go into research thinking that we already know what the questions are and giving people the possible answers. And this kind of research really leaves room for us to discover things that we don't have any idea about yet. And so I think when you have a, a group of people like family caregivers who aren't heard from in very many ways for lots of reasons, it, it adds a, a way of getting information from that group into the hands of of professionals of various kinds that's really powerful i think right great now talking of powerfulness um we experience the tyranny of time in this show uh whereby we have to take a short break now this is where i often say we have to pay the rent so we're going to do that now so here's the break coming up but this is dr gordon Anthony, and my guest is dr cynthia jacob uh you're Listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Um, please stay with us. We're definitely coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. 
Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Cynthia Jacobs. Our topic is how family caregivers sharing their experiences helps others. Cynthia, now let's talk about qualitative research. We've used the word, you have anyway, quite a lot. So let me, let's, let's discuss how it differs from quantitative research and how it brings people's experiences with illness into the picture and how computer methods strengthen qualitative research for the kind of purposes we've been talking about. So question number one then, Cynthia, please, is please explain qualitative research and how it differs from quantitative research and give us some everyday examples. Great. So that's a great question. And I do find that people are very often confused by the term and they think it's something very exotic, but it is something you encounter all the time. So anytime somebody asks you to complete a survey, a customer satisfaction survey, anything like that, and there'll be several questions that you answer yes or no or on a scale of one to five, all those things are part of what we call quantitative research. But there's usually a question at the bottom that says something like, do you have any other comments or anything else you'd like to tell us? So that's what we would call qualitative data is the is the data that's gathered there. Anytime researchers go and conduct interviews or sometimes researchers will go somewhere and just observe people and take lots of notes or go and gather pictures. But the most familiar would be these kind of open-ended survey questions or, um, or, or participating in an interview. Another example might be sometimes when you go to the doctor, and this you would call it a clinical interview, right? So sometimes a doctor will say, or a nurse usually might say to you, you know, on a, on a scale of one to five, how, how bad is the pain or something like that. So that's a quantitative question. But the rest of the questions they ask you are really qualitative questions. They ask you to just tell them, what are you, so what's going on? Tell me, tell me what you're feeling, those kinds of things. Those are all qualitative. And so, you can imagine that it's very easy if we just ask people on a scale of one to five, um, you know, how did you like this? It's very easy for us to calculate an average or something like that. Well, it gets harder when you have that much messier data and you know there's all kinds of interesting stuff in there, but the question is how do you, how do you get at it? Right. Now, next question. Please explain the strengths and weaknesses of qualitative and quantitative research for the purposes of research into people's experiences with illnesses. Cynthia? So there's a couple 
couple things I would say. One is sometimes the quantitative research, that there's lots and lots of it done, but it sometimes would give us a, a confusing result. So it might turn out that, um, you know, people actually have better outcomes if they don't adhere to their medication or if they exercise four times a week instead of five. And so what's going on there? And having some qualitative data can allow us to go back and say, okay, what's different about this group from that group, and what do they say when we ask them to describe what they're doing that might help us understand why that result is coming up that just doesn't make any sense. Qualitative research can also help us figure out, so if we know from the quantitative research, sorry, that these two things keep happening together. Um, So when people um, sleep more, then um, they also have a better outcome over here. The qualitative research can help us understand why. So just knowing those two things happen together doesn't mean, doesn't tell us which one is causing the other, and it might be a third thing causing it. So the qualitative research can help us figure that out. And then probably most important is something I mentioned a minute ago where if we're going to design some quantitative research, we're going to go out with a survey and say, tell us, you know, A, B, or C, which one of these is more true for you, or what do you think of this on a scale of one to five, then we've had to decide ahead of time what the important questions are and what the possible responses are. And so we've really already shaped the answer to our research question by designing our research. And with qualitative research, you can go out and and ask questions much more to say, okay, I want to know what the experience of this person is, and so I'm going to find ways to ask them where I'm not telling them already or constraining them to think about what the answer to that question might be. Now, just to extend that a little bit, now I picked up from what you were saying, and I'm going to perhaps feed it back to you in a slightly distorted way, but here it is, that you really can't ask questions of any kind about things you don't know about. Mm -hmm. And if you're then asking um, quantitative questions, you have to know what it is you're asking about. Whereas if you ask, if I've understood you right, a qualitative question, an open-ended question, what were your experiences, then into that will come probably, we hope, and usefully, new knowledge. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Now, next question. Um, Please explain the ways in which computer, the computer strengthens qualitative research and analysis. What does the computer do? Cynthia? So, in, in some ways, it doesn't do very much. It allows you to do exactly the same things that you would do if you were sitting with this material in your lap and you were reading it. But what it makes possible is for you to do that in a more systematic way. So I can go go through that material and say, tag some passages and say, mm, there's something interesting going on here. I think I'm starting to understand something new about this person's experience and what I see here. And, and gee, there that that same theme is seeming to appear in this interview and this interview and this interview. And so the computer allows me to pull all of those things together. And then once I've done a lot of that, I can also go back and ask, well, gee, it looks as if, 
you know, all the people who shared that experience were people who were um, older when they had the onset of the disease, or they were women, or they were women who were caring for men, or they were, um, you know, parents as opposed to children, something like that. So I can say, gee, it looks like this experience is different for these different kinds of people. So when you're asking that question about, um, you know, can this help um, the policymakers or service providers figure out how to better serve people, that's the kind of thing that the computer can make it possible for you to do is to say, is there a pattern here that might help me better um, respond to this particular group? Now, let's talk a little bit more about the patterns. First of all, without giving away any kind of private information, and certainly not about individuals, but about particular types of research, give us an example of, of something that was elicited that came forward because of a qualitative question of, related to experience rather than a quantitative uh, method. Give us an example, please. Let's see. Um, so if I'm asking a quantitative question, I might be able to say that, you know, people people come back to this program more. They come for these weekly visits um, from this neighborhood more often than they come from that neighborhood. And I look at everything I know about the program and I say, gee, you know, the transportation's just as good here as opposed to over there. But when I go and I look at my qualitative data and my conversations with people, then I might be able to find out something that says, you know, maybe there's, um, it turns out a lot of people in this neighborhood talk about a particular church group, and it turns out that they have a church group meeting that they're going to instead, and they find that that's actually more helpful for them. Or maybe it just conflicts. Maybe there's something that goes on in this neighborhood that um, happens to conflict with the time of my meeting. And I'd never be able to pick that up just from my quantitative data, but it would it would come out here. That's kind of a dry example, I guess I would say, is, you know, something fairly practical. Um, something else that might come out is some, is being able to hear people express a, a certain kind of discomfort or concern or anxiety that different people seem to be at least hinting at. And I can say, gee, it sounds to me between the lines, somebody's kind of uncomfortable answering this question or talking about that. And, and I'm able to read between the lines of those conversations and pull together those threads to start to, to understand. Just to press you a bit further on this, mm -hmm. um, in, your, in the section of your bio that I presented, introduced you with, um, you did a piece of research where you were looking into a public school that wasn't doing very well, and what you were exploring was the very interesting question of hope among teachers. Please relate that to what you've just been saying about quantitative research. In other words, how does quantitative research bring out something as, if you like, difficult to define, but yet so important like hope? Yes, okay, and that's, that's a good example to draw from. So 
One of the things that I found when I talked with many, many teachers in this particular community, well, not many, many, I should say, maybe only only about 20, and that's part of the, the difference with qualitative work is a, is a relatively small group, but they told me stories about their experience teaching, and I asked them some fairly consistent questions across the group, but different kinds of conversations came out of those. And one of the things that I I wasn't looking for in the qualitative piece of the study, but that became very clear to me was how much the the teachers who who seemed most hopeful to seem seem to be able to talk about the possibility of students more. Um, and and talked about the possibility not just of their particular students but of of where education would lead in their particular community who were the least sort of frustrated um, were those who talked about not just caring about their they all talked about caring about their students they they all had very caring things to say about the students but those teachers who were most hopeful were also really caring about their students in an academic way so they really cared that their students were able to engage with this material and they were teachers themselves who had a very very deep knowledge of the material and so right. this was a kind of complicated idea that came out in many ways, and they would yeah. talk, talk about this idea of caring that a student gets it, right, which was yeah. different from just, yeah. yeah. Yeah, perfect, perfect example, if I may say so. Now, once again, it's the tyranny of time. We're going to take yeah. a break. <laughs> this is Dr. Gordon Ave, and my guest is Dr. Cynthia Jacobs. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email 
to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Cynthia Jacobs. Our topic is how family caregivers sharing their experiences helps others. Now, Cynthia, for discussion, let's suppose that we have recordings of interviews with several people describing their individual experiences as family caregivers caring for a family member living with the serious mental illness of schizophrenia. Um, Question number one is, please highlight for us the techniques of recording the interviews. So, let's see. I I guess I would say, um, first of all, really important to, um, for people to understand right from the beginning and to spend some time at the very beginning of the interview to assure people that they can stop anytime they want to. So one of the most important techniques in interviewing is to say and make sure that the person you're interviewing repeats back to you. If I change my mind in the middle of this and I want to stop talking about this, I can I can do that at any time. I, I don't have to answer these questions. To make people very comfortable about the idea that that information is going to be confidential um, and to, to give them an opportunity right away at the start of the interview process, but also in between, in you know, as you go through, to give them an opportunity uh, to be able to ask questions. And then, as much as possible, to be able to follow them around the interview a little bit. So there are some types of interviews where you're going to be very structured and ask a question in a certain way, but most of the time when you sit down and interview people, when you ask them question one, they're going to partly answer what you had intended to be question four. And it's really important to be able to allow the conversation to flow that way because that's where you're going to get to the unexpected results. So similar to the to the quantitative questions, if it's going somewhere you weren't expecting, that's probably a very good thing. Um, just as in a conversation with someone, it's really helpful to be face-to-face. In an interview, it's really helpful to be face-to-face if you can you can, because you can make a different kind of – you can have eye contact. You can see better when someone's uncomfortable. Um, and, and you can make notes about those kinds of things as you're, as you're talking with them. So a lot of times interviews are done over the phone, but certainly whenever it's possible to do them in person or to be able to see someone, it's really ideal. And I think that makes it sort of a more fulfilling experience also for the person who's being um, interviewed as well. And I mentioned before, it's really critical, if you can, to actually have not just notes that you're taking as an interviewer as you go through, but to really record the interview in such a way that you can go back and listen word for word for word over and over again, because you'll lose so much meaning if you if you try to reduce it to notes right as you're listening to it, and, and you'll find that you'll come to more meaning as, as you're able to go back to it over and over again. Right. Now, let's follow up on that question by asking you how 
the recordings are actually processed in the computer. I'm always talking about recordings at the moment, um, mm -hmm. whether they're done face-to-face -face over the phone or whatever. Mm -hmm. How are the recordings processed in the computer and how are they analyzed by the computer to achieve the kind of purposes that you've just been talking about? Cynthia? So we're still waiting. So some people might be familiar with something called Dragon, naturally speaking, or, or um, tools where, or Siri, right, on an iPhone where you can talk to the phone and it understands what you're saying. And so you might think that you could give a computer a recording of an interview and it would turn it into a, a, a written page. And it actually can't do that yet because it's only good at doing that for a voice it understands well. So I could train my computer to understand me very well, but as soon as I go down and, and sit and start talking to someone else, all of a sudden it can't understand that person. So what happens is someone needs to sit down with that recording, either using our tool or another tool, and actually listen to it and, and type the words that are in there. And so that's the very first step that happens. And then once that complete transcription has happened, then the researcher can go back and start reading through and start tagging the material just the way you would tag a photo on Facebook or something like that. Starts tagging little passages in that interview to say, oh, there's a, I see something there. That's some sort of theme of trust or discomfort or disconnection or, or whatever people might be expressing. Um, and I can, I can mark that off. And then as I see that theme appear again, I can mark it in other transcripts as well. And then you're able to pull together across all of those transcripts, um, those themes. And there is one more sort of what might seem more like um, a high-technology way to go about this. You could go through using the computer and say, I'd like to see what are the most frequent words people use when I talk to them about these issues. And I can ask the computer to go through and count. And it might say, well, you know, the most frequent word that comes up is talk. And that might tell me something, and I can go see where that is. Or I might say, I want to see, there are particular words that I'm concerned about, right? I want to see where people mention um, transportation. So I can go through and search where do people mention car or bus or transportation and have it pull together all those things for me. But most of it's the hard work of, of the researcher reading through the material themselves. Now, you used a delightful word earlier on. Uh, you talked about um, research being messy, and you painted that picture of papers all over the floor. Um, and I have been a researcher, and I know exactly what you're talking about. Now, let's talk about the way in which, or the ways in which, researchers work with the computer to produce information and obviously their purpose is to help them better understand the experiences of the persons who have been interviewed. They want to draw conclusions and they want to generate questions for more research. But just go into a bit more detail of how you get from messy to organized <laughs> using the computer. Yes, that's a great question. So what becomes possible and, and is much more possible with the computer than it is with the papers all over the floor. Now, you could do this with the papers all over the floor, but sort of time runs out before you can because what happens is you start to have these hunches about 
well, do people talk more about feeling isolated when they don't have access to transportation? Or do um, uh, people talk more about feeling connected when um, they talk about being able to reach out to other family members or something like that? So I'm able to say, well, I have this theme over here and this theme over here and ask the computer to tell me how often, you know, is it, am I right? Is my hunch correct that those themes come together a lot? Um, or maybe not. Maybe there were just really one or two really powerful passages from an interview that I remember. And that's still important, but it's different from saying everybody talks about this as opposed to I'm, I'm seeing it just once. And then I can also follow up those hunches we talked about before where it seems like the older people versus the younger people talk more about these themes. And it, those, it's, it's through that painstaking process of going through and doing that tagging that you start to have these hunches about what you want to explore. And then it's through exploring those and beginning to write about them all throughout the whole process. You're sort of writing about what you're seeing and, and thinking about in the data. And then you have what, what we call an iterative process in qualitative research where you keep, you go a little bit forward and thinking, okay, I've, I've got this neat pile of themes here. And then you take a step back to where it's messy again. And then you move forward and get it a little bit neater and then go back again. And you kind of keep going forward and back until gradually you come to what you think are, at least for the purposes you have in looking at these interviews right now, what you think are the, the key ideas. And now what you're able to do is pull out these quotes from interviews very easily to support those ideas. Now, you've used the word tagging. Um, please explain exactly what that is. Um, people like me kind of use the word tag, um, but I'm not sure that all of us actually fully understand, first of all, what that really is and how yeah. it's done in the kind of situation you're talking about. Cynthia? Yeah. So in, in qualitative research, the, the, the sort of technical term for that is coding. And so we come up with what we call codes to represent these different themes. And then we go through all the interviews and we mark a particular passage. And, and the old-fashioned way would be to circle it or, or mark it with a colored highlighter and put a little code. I might, you know, I might shorten transportation to TRN and write TRN in the, in the margin where I see that theme appear. And in the computer, what happens is that you're highlighting a passage of text. So just the way you might say, if you were, if you'd written an email and you wanted to go back and say, take out a sentence, you might highlight a, a, a passage of text there and hit your delete key. Well, what you're going to do in this case is highlight a passage of text, and then you're going to click on it and say, okay, I want to mark this as a, a, a passage that has to do with transportation and maybe it also has to do with some other things. And what you're able to do is at a very fine level, down to the level of particular words, um, select these overlapping passages and, and apply whatever, and it could be many themes in a particular passage that you're applying there. And I, I've started to use, to use the word tagging more recently because people are more familiar with the concept now because it happens in places like Facebook, um, but that's sort of a relatively new term for it, and so almost um, to think of it as, as highlighting or, or circling is probably as good a, a metaphor as any. And what that enables the computer to do and the researcher with the computer then is to call up 
all instances of where a particular tag appears across interviews and down interviews as a way of getting the impre- an impression of, for example, how important a particular tag, uh, the importance of something that a tag is pointing to, or clarifying some of the concerns and issues that are arising. Have I got that at least half right? That's exactly right. And part of what happens in that iterative process, that process of going around and round, is just like you say, you might think that a theme means this, but the more you start working with it, you say, oh, well, does it mean a little bit more like that or a little bit more like this? And so you, you're refining and shaping those as you work with them. But yes, that's exactly right. Right. Now, being exactly right, it's once more the tyranny of time. We're going to take the break, so we'll do it now. Um, This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Dr. Cynthia Jacobs. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, Strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. For 27 years, KidStar has empowered thousands of kids across the country. And now we have the opportunity to empower children around the world. KidStar is announcing a new radio show called Voyage Earth. Voyage Earth will empower kids from across the world. And we need your help. KidStar has created a Kickstarter campaign just for this new undertaking. By pledging to Kickstarter, you pledge for a future of empowered people to come. My name is Harmony Hagedorn. And I'm Angel Ramirez. From the Angel and Harmony Show on Voice America Kids. KidStar, we empower kids. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Dr. Cynthia Jacobs. Our topic is how family caregivers sharing their experiences helps others. Now, Cynthia, let's talk about what more you would like to do yourself and see done to promote computer-assisted qualitative research in healthcare 
to improve our understanding of the experiences of family caregivers, families and of individuals living with serious illnesses. So question one is what more would you like to do to promote qualitative research in healthcare? Cynthia. Yeah, so one of the things that we try to do a lot of, and I'm always looking for people to do this, is we try to create an audience for researchers to share their work. And and we do that very often through webinars. So similar to what we're doing right now, although there would be a, a visual component as well, so people would go to a website and, and watch a brief video. And it might be a researcher speaking to other researchers, or it might be a researcher speaking to family caregivers or or some other group that's not researchers but relevant to, to the work. And so we try to work together with other organizations to to reach out to audiences who would find this of of interest. And that's one of the best ways we've found so far um, to get material out there to help, help people understand. But we also try to work within the research world itself, because that is is part of what's going to increase the research that's done there, and that is um, partly by supporting researchers when they want to go and present at a conference. So they might be going to present to other researchers in their field, and if they've used in vivo for for their work, we try to help them um, try to help them get there somehow, find find good places to go and, and audiences for that work, um, and and to try to keep. Um, educating and supporting researchers and the people who support research so that they can better appreciate the value of having this component of the work there. Right. Now, what more would you like to see done and by whom to promote qualitative research in healthcare? Cynthia? Probably the single most important thing I would say is government funding, right? So, so much of the research is supported by government agencies. And so the more that they can recognize and and uh, support the value of qualitative research, they start asking for it from their researchers, and that's what encourages researchers to do it or enables researchers to do it. Um, a lot of times in the sort of... Um, system for rewarding academic work through publication and grant funding, qualitative research has been sort of underappreciated, and that's beginning to change. And the more that that continues, the more I think that that work can try to become a piece of um, what happens there. And that really is sort of a dialogue among researchers and and among those who, who, who fund research. Let me just extend that, your question, the question and the answer a little bit further. Family caregivers as a group are working to get more and better recognition of what they actually do. Um, everybody is very polite to them, but they feel that they're not really recognized fully for what they actually do, especially at times when the healthcare systems are relying on them more and more, and this is the language of healthcare, because out of hospitals, patients are coming home sicker and quicker. Now, therefore, this group, this community, and there are a lot of them in, in North America, um, need voice. They need to be heard. And I, I 
this is a big question, but a short answer from you, please. Do you think that sort of social action that the family caregivers need would be helped by qualitative research? Absolutely. So I think there's a few ways that that, that can help. Um, so one of them is I think, and, and you sort of touched on this earlier, but in terms of being able to create resources, they can be so much better informed if they have this richer data behind them. So it sort of creates a voice where they're, they're isn't a voice before. So if it's only the researchers designing the questions, as we said, then there's only so much that we can learn. But by doing this, that gives that group of family caregivers a voice and a way to speak to researchers, policymakers, those those sorts of things. So I think that's um, a really important piece of it. But I think also if you can include that sort of truth, right, those sort of voice coming from the family caregivers, then the material that comes out of the research makes other people with those experiences feel much better understood, feel much less alone. And I, and I think that it also even has that experience for the people who participate in the research because it does actually... Um, create a very sort of concrete action for them to be able to have a way of speaking that maybe they wouldn't otherwise to get their voice much further amplified than they might otherwise. And in fact, this is a loaded question, a loaded point, but it seems to me that it's hard to argue against someone who's speaking about their own personal experience in an open kind of way where they're expressing what they went through and describing it in their own language. That's, I'm not a lawyer, but that seems to me the equivalent of having somebody as a witness in a court who's accepted by the court as having first-hand experience and therefore knowledge. Now, without stretching that point too far, do you agree with that to some extent at least, Cynthia? Yes, and I think... I think it sort of removes a layer, um, as, as we are saying, of, of, of who's shaping the the answer there, right? And so, if I come in as a as a researcher and and try to tell you about the way I I see the world, um, but without being able to, um, as you say, show you any real life examples yes. of that, yes, I think that's I think that's very true. Okay. Now, we are running out of time, so this is your elevator pitch now. I want you to share your message for family caregivers who are wondering whether to participate in computer-assisted qualitative research. Um, You know, people are approached, will you be a participant? What's your quick message for family caregivers? Cynthia? I would say... Ask lots and lots of questions about any concern you have, but know that this is a a way to be tremendously helpful to other people and to create these resources that could really shape what the experience is for others who are are going through the same experience. 
But I think also at the same time, in a in a, uh, another way, it it also is just personally very satisfying. I think to have the experience of being heard, right? To be able to being asked the questions that give you a chance to to speak about your experience and get your your personal message out to people who can do something about it. Right, right on. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of our time for this fascinating and important episode. Cynthia, thank you very much. Please continue working in the way you're doing, sharing your experience and your insights and your advice and every success to you and to your colleagues and to the company in this work you're doing. And I also want to say thank you to our listeners. Now, I have to just admit something here. With Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project actually called Qualitative Research to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. Uh, In other words, I'm sold on the idea of qualitative research and I want to apply it to the work we do with Family Caregivers Unite. Now, our next episode will be Who is Protecting the Genomes of English People? Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.